Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. So hi and welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. I've been overwhelmed with the positive feedback so far. We've had thousands of downloads across 30 different countries around the world. And and I'm glad you're enjoying them as much as I am recording them. I'm I'm having a blast and I'm confident that you're going to love today's guest too, Amy Silverman. Amy is Microsoft's Corporate Vice President of Consumer Channel Sales and Marketing. In this role, she is accountable for advancing Microsoft's global consumer business. She works closely with partners in 62 countries around the world to deliver results across all consumer channels by creating compelling at-home and on-the-go experiences. The raison d'etre of Amy and her leadership team is to spend every day thinking about how to make every single customer a fan. But before she joined Microsoft, Amy spent nine years at Team Mobile as the Senior Vice President of Field Sales and Operations, where she was responsible for 20,000 employees and over 3,000 stores. Now, I've had the pleasure of working with Amy and her leadership team, both here in Europe and in the United States. And in fact, it was about two years ago to the day, I think, Amy, when we were last together in Vegas, I was with you and your leadership team while you were preparing for CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which for many is to be considered the most influential tech event in the world. Amy, a really warm welcome to you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Phil. Ironic that we're getting ready to go into CES next week. Yeah, virtually this time. Exactly. So so how is sunny Seattle this morning? (laughs) It actually isn't rainy, but it's gray and cloudy, as you can imagine here on January. Good. Look, look, once again, really thank you for coming on. It's great to hear you. Please give us an overview of, uh, of your role at Microsoft to the listeners. Yeah, first, Phil, thank you for the opportunity. I had the opportunity to listen, as I referenced, to all your podcasts, and it's an honor to be with you. I have, uh, you know, what I consider the greatest role because I love the consumer business. And for Microsoft, I get to lead our consumer sales and marketing business around the world globally. And if you think about the products that you use, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or for fun and entertainment, that's what my team and I get to do every day across gaming, Windows, the PC ecosystem, Surface, um, M365, loads of accessories uh, to really make a difference for people. So for some people listening, they'll think you've got the coolest job in the world. I think I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's great. It's always good fun to, to work with you guys and, and also just some of the products that you, you get to, to play with uh, and promote. It's, uh, it's, it's good fun. But if we get onto the leadership piece, that's what this, this podcast is all about. For you personally, which, which leaders do you admire and, and why would that be? Yeah, I think, you know, just starting out with um, looking at leaders, I look at the leaders that have impacted me greatly. And, you know, I started out in apparel, Phil. I was in apparel for 20 years before I got into technology. And, you know, Mickey Drexler, who at the time was the CEO of The Gap, was a very influential leader on me. Um, as I spent quite a few years at the Gap, and and I will remember vividly about interactions with the team, myself and and Mickey, you know, focused maniacally on the customer, whether that was from a shopping bag 
to make sure you have enough shopping bags to the turnover of inventory and styles from a merchant perspective, but always putting the customer and the employee at the center. And that made a very large impact on both my leadership style, the observation of leadership, the observation of accountability. I mean, Mickey would come into our area of the world. And at that time I was in Los Angeles, California, you know, and he would be calling merchants to talk about why is something happening right there, right in front of you as a leader, demonstrating accountability to both positive things and opportunity. Then if we fast forward to leaders more recently, I would say how fortunate uh, the experience has been at Microsoft with Satya leading Microsoft and the the thing that I love about what um, I have witnessed is the aspiration of the company to empower every person, every organization on the planet to achieve more. And it is so aspirational, but yet something that is so grounding of what the focus is. Um, and I think there's something to be said about making a mission statement truly recognizable to every employee in a very large organization. And then there's other leaders, Liz Weissman, who wrote the book Multipliers. I've had the opportunity to engage with her and work with her. And this opportunity of asking great questions and how do you make other people great, being curious. And then I am an optimistic person and Simon Sinek has resonated with me for a very long time since he wrote the book starting, you know, with why. But I, I would share with you, Phil, I have been very fortunate for a very long time to have unbelievable leaders that I have been able to learn and grow um, from throughout my entire career. But I share a few with you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. And as you know, I'm very passionate about Microsoft. I worked there for 10 years. And after leaving, which is, well, 20 years ago now, I've worked with Microsoft since. Uh, and I think the impact that such as leadership style has had on the organization is there for everyone to see, both as an employee and, and as, as customers. It's, um, it's remarkable. How would you describe your leadership style? I think... In describing one's leadership style, here's some of the, the traits and characteristics that I would say. First is transparency, being direct, but also I care deeply. And I care deeply about the collective work that the team does. Every role in the organization matters, and I'll just stick to my organization. The work that every person does, I care deeply about. Um, and what they're doing, I care deeply about. And I, I firmly believe that from a leadership perspective, I believe everyone has something to contribute. But I would say transparent, direct, and, and very caring. Oh, cool. So what's, and what shaped that then? What's, cause that, that would be something that's evolved over time. That would be something that you're very clearly, you're very conscious about because you answered that very quickly. So what, what do you think shaped that? What defining moments have, have made you come to those sort of those headings? You know, I just go back to, of course, things that I've grown up with. So I start with my mom. Um, you know, my mother uh, was a single mother as a cocktail waitress. Las Vegas, Nevada is where I was born. 
And uh, she was always in the service industry. We then moved to Reno, and I really feel like I grew up in Reno, Nevada. But, you know, growing up with a mother who was in the service industry, interacting with people all the time, hearing about her interactions with people all the time, serving others, um, was definitely a part of how I grew up. Um, and I started, you know, in retail as a salesperson at 16. Um, and being a sales associate, I'm serving others. Um, and that's the customer who is spending their hard money, you know, to buy things. And I say hard money because everyone that works, they, they've worked hard for that dollar. And so I think that that has been something that certainly came from my mother. And then later, you know, in my life, I did build a relationship with my father who was absent from really my life until I was about 16. And he's very entrepreneurial. He is, uh, 79 and, um, you know, just, he owns his own business and still works to this day in his own business that he's had for a very long time. And so I think, um, you know, seeing him and observing him, um, his directness, his frankness um, has definitely impacted me. And then just also, you know, through managing people over time, people are not mind readers. And so in order to create clarity, transparency and directness always, I think, prevails as helping people because they want to do a great job. Mm. And I think the clear that you are helps people know. And I think that, you know, both my parents have shaped me along with just great leaders. And I have worked, Phil, for tremendous brands. I think I've worked with some of the best brands in the world, even though they're not all world brands. But I think that I have been very fortunate. Um, you know, I started managing people when I was 19 years old. And if you think about that, you know, back then when I was 19 and managing my first store, you know, I was more worried about people knowing my age, <laughs> but yet I was so passionate about leading people. So, um, but I would really say, you know, most of my parents are in the service industry and, and serving customers. And, and I think that that had a lot to do with learning how to be direct, learning how to be transparent with others. Uh, I love the story and the influence that your parents have had on you. So, you know, you're a manager at 19. What's been your biggest challenge as a leader during your career? Well, with every challenge is great learning. Um, and and I would say probably some of the biggest challenges I've, I've had um, have shaped um, throughout time my behavior. Um, you know, I would say if you just think on the, the largest scale of challenges, Phil, I have had, um, you know, really large things happen. I'm going to go to um, learning how to care for people when uh, there was the Northridge earthquake in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and having, you know, 15 stores, 20 stores of employees um, to the riots that happened in Los Angeles. And I will use this as a learning of you had realized back then schedules were on paper 
Did you have the phone numbers for every employee? Did you know the emergency contacts for every employee? Could you track every employee and where they are? Could you get your stores boarded up to make sure that, you know, windows were not broken and that the safety of the environment was protected? But I will share when I talk about tr the ability to contact people in crisis, that was a huge learning to them when I worked for Ann Taylor and 9-11 happened and our headquarters is based out of New York in the city of Manhattan and our CEO um, leaving voicemails about the care and concern and how to get to safety. And so I think one of the things that I would just say is the safety and well-being of people has been big learnings for me. Um, through really severe situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, those situations have shaped the care and concern, I think, of knowing that every person has to be able to be found. And it's this weird this weird dichotomy of me caring so much about that, but I've had all of these situations that I've experienced. And yet I go back to some of those things that I talked about in Los Angeles that really made me realize the human capital and the importance of being able to know you can get in touch with people when you are in a time of crisis. And so that is one thing that has certainly impacted me. And then another thing that I would share that I think, you know, when you look back at things that have impacted you, um, it's the, the connection with people and, you know, the ability to learn that every person is different. However, everyone likes to be engaged with their leader. And, um, you know, that is so vitally important that you can connect with your people. And I think some of these situations that I um, referenced have shaped certainly the interconnectivity that I try to have with every employee that works in my organization. You, you've just joined the dots for me on that, uh, Amy, in terms of, you know, when, when I talked earlier and asked about your leadership style, you know, you, you referenced, you know, three things, which is around directness, transparency, but caring. Uh, and and it's in in those stories that you've just brought to life. It's uh, that's where I can see the caring value coming over uh, really loud and clear. It's um it's fab to hear. I, I've deliberately called this this podcast leadership confessions because you know based on my relationships and and I'd like to think uh, you know uh, proximity to to the people that we invite to come on. I'm I'm trying to get you to share a story of you know of mistakes or or something. You know, what would you say, you know, have been some of your biggest mistakes as a leader and, and what have you learned from them that you'd be happy to admit on this? <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things is I, I'm an activator by nature. So being an activator is awesome because there's great opportunity to make impact and get a lot of things done. But it also is a big opportunity for me because some of the mistakes I've made is I overuse my ability to be an activator. And what that does is it uh, at times will make people feel like they can't keep up with me. At times I'm moving so fast that people feel like I might, you know, roll right over and, um, you know, as I've continued to grow and evolve from leading people for many years, I 
always have to be conscientious of that because the last thing I want anyone to feel is that I'm just going to run them right over because I'm going so fast and I'm not going to slow down. But let me be clear, it's happened. And um, I'd like to think that um, people have a good enough relationship with me that the reason why I know it's happened is because they've told me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think this this notion of, you know, your greatest strength can also be your biggest opportunity. And for me over time, I've really learned that it is my strength of activator that is overused that becomes my biggest liability. Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay, I can I can hear that loud and clear. And it's something, it sounds like you're very conscious of not overplaying today. Very, but it's taken me a while to work on that. And, you know, I would say, Phil, as you think about well, when does it come out? It comes out during high pressure moments, Mm -hmm. key deadlines and deliverables to big, big areas and bodies of work. And, you know, really pausing to be more curious, be a little Mm -hmm. bit lazy, to be honest with you, because our people have the answer. Our people have the ability to do it, but I need to make sure that I um, keep that activator piece working, but not in the ways of me actually doing the work. Yeah, and not overplaying that strength. Exactly. So as a leader for you, what causes the redness to come down? What buttons have people pressed to really you know, make you angry? Probably, and whether it's anger or not, um, Phil, I fundamentally believe that every problem can be solved. And I believe in the ability to find solutions, um, even when they're hard. You know, the belief that you give to others that it can be solved is something that at times when people need help, that's what they want to know is that you believe it can be solved. Whether you know how to or not, that's a whole different story. But I do think when I find myself, as you call it, the red nest, Mm -hmm. is when there is um, a lack of solutions, a lack or uh, a desire to solve what Mm -hmm. is causing the opportunity. Because I believe we all have the opportunity to solve problems. And that's probably the key thing of where I um, find myself agitated. And how does how how do you come across them? What does an, an Amy Silverman look like when she's agitated? Probably um, this is where my activator would come out. <laughs> right, okay. Moving fast, uh, wanting to hear uh, how someone would really think through solving it um, and believing. And I think this goes back to, you know, these fundamental beliefs of your attitude, your belief in being able to conquer big, meaty problems is so strong with me um, that the belief system comes out because I believe we can find a way. And I want the individual that maybe I'm working with or the team that I'm working with to believe that they can find so, a way. So as you're answering, I've got a, a picture in my head of, of, of the members in your leadership team that I know. How do you think they're responding? Uh, right? And if they're listening to this now, what do you think they're, they're fe- thinking and feeling? They're laughing, (laughs) are acknowledging. 
Um, and I would, I would also sincerely uh, believe that in the last few years that uh, some of my team have been working with me, they would see that it has subsided. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, I, I guess you can ask for that feedback next time you have a one-to-one. -one. Exactly. Uh, so, so let, let's switch uh, switch tone a bit. Uh, when do you think you're at personally at your at your best? I love that phrase of being at your best. Sincerely, I believe in that. I am a big believer in that everyone can contribute. The the things that come to my mind immediately is being with a team, being with a large group of people advocating on their behalf, removing obstacles, being an excellent listener, and asking questions to learn more. And how do you get yourself into that state? Because you know you've got to do that every day. You're leading huge amounts of people. You know, global business. How do you get yourself into that state? I think really it comes down to a few things. One, being present. And Phil, you know, in the technology world that we live in and all the resources at our fingertip to have constant information, how do you put the people or the situation at hand that you're interacting with first while there's a million other things going on around you? And um, it's about how you really plan the work um, and not every day goes exactly the way as planned, but recognizing every time you have people in front of you, that has to be the most important thing that you're engaged with at the moment. Um, and if you're doing five other things at the time, you are not giving your best self to the situation. Yeah, okay, good. Um, and, and I know high performance is important to you. What What does that look like to you? You know, when you're looking uh, recruiting when you're looking at your team what does you know what do you look for in high performance a team that's full of different experiences different backgrounds different experiences different perspectives certainly finding people that um, i personally think makes the team better makes me better offers and contributes different things based on their talent, their skills, their knowledge, their past experiences that are different from one another. I also believe high performing teams is something that you can look at and understand whether it's a person, a place, a time or an event that you can um, really think about what was the impact of that person, place, time or event that would equate to high performance for whatever the situation is. But I think a team of full of different perspectives and Phil, you know, in, in a global business, you know, having people that are um, representative of their communities. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of is how do you find people from the places that they're from? And I use Asia as an example. You know, hiring someone that is from Asia, from Malaysia to run Asia. In the consumer business, I'm really proud. I've had a gal working for me for over a year now, but she was the first person in the consumer business that is from Asia. Right. And um, I think it's so important 
um, to find people that bring the perspectives of their local community, but then all their experiences that bring the differences to shape the team to be at its best because we all bring something different. Thank you for that. You, you talked earlier around the fact that you got your first sales job, I think, at 16, your first manager's job at 19. There'll be a lot of people, and I know, actually, there's a lot of younger people that listen to the podcast and are finding it fascinating to hear leaders' journeys. What advice would you share for aspiring and up-and-coming leaders? Every person, no matter how old they are, can look at moments in time throughout their life and they can find areas that they are good at. What is your talent? What are the things that naturally come to you? Think about that. What is that for you? And then what brings you energy? You have to be reflective to think about what are the things you're doing or engaged with that bring you energy. And I think there's a marriage between looking at what things over your course of your life, no matter how old you are, whether you're 16, whether you're 20, it doesn't matter. You can be reflective to think about why have you gravitated towards certain things because you get enjoyment from doing them or it comes easy to you. And I think that's so important. And, you know, I always reference to people no matter how old you are, chunk your life out in thirds and think about each one of those thirds of what are those areas that bring up those emotions for you. And I think that um, it's very helpful to be reflective because that gives you a lot of insight of what you will continue to be very good at your whole life. Oh, well, that, that, I'm smiling because that reminds me of a, an exercise we did with your leadership team in Harris, which is, you know, talking about sort of the vulnerability session and, and talking about your life in thirds. Uh, so it's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, again, I'm going to switch tack, Amy, and this is all, I guess, that, that leads us to that vulnerable maybe bit. Give the listeners, please, an insight to Amy Silverman outside of work. Oh, you know, first I start with I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I have a, you know, a a great daughter, I'm a friend, Um, I myself, you know, I'm a daughter to parents, I have um, a, a great, great level of energy, I was born that way, I am very high energy, I am, you know, my husband often says, I've never met someone that wakes up every day so positive, it is you. Um, and you know, I always say it's just how I am. That's how I'm wired, but it relates to high energy. Uh, I love to cook. My favorite thing is having people over and cooking for others. I get a ton of enjoyment out of that. I will tell you being in retail my entire life, I love to shop. I am a consumer (laughs) at its best. And um, I love to find good ways to recharge and uh, make sure that I find ways that um, are either uh, energy givers or just great, great opportunities for my mind to unwind and relax. So, so well, apart from retail therapy, what, what else would those things be for give you energy and help your mind relax? I love doing yoga. Right. Big yoga fan. I love riding bikes. Now, I unlike you, Phil, I do stationary bikes, but nothing like a good five to 10 mile ride on a bike gives me, you know, a great feeling when I am done. But yoga, I would say, is probably my number one. 
Yeah, cool. Uh, and then professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? Because you know, everyone's listening and going, wow, you're, you are full of energy. You are super positive. But there will have been times, of course, when you've had setbacks. You know, so how have you dealt with those? I think I talked a little bit about belief. And I, I do believe that your attitude can help you overcome really challenging things. I think you have to mentally be able to self-talk. I'm a big believer in self-talk. You have to recognize when you are putting yourself in a situation where all the negative thoughts are overtaking your whole thinking. And that happens, believe me. Mm -hmm. But you have to also recognize there are ways you can work through that through self-talk, through reading, through sharing with someone else. And I think when you have people that you can talk to that are not going to give you the answers, but ask great questions, that's helpful. But I would say attitude and then recognizing what your mind has the capability to do. Because just as I said, self-talk, when I find myself in self-talk, Phil, it's often because I have negative thoughts coming through about mm -hmm. what I'm doing, something I've done. It's making me not feel great about it. And how do I work through that? And having mechanisms to understand that um, is very helpful. So what? try and bring that to life for people. What kind of mechanisms are you talking about? Writing things down. Right thinking through what are the things that attributed to why you're thinking that way, why you're feeling that way. And then sometimes you need to be able to think about how do you work through that, especially if it involves someone else. If it was your own behavior, you have to take accountability for that, but you also have to work through that so that you fully are accountable to your actions and what's happened um, as part of the root cause and more importantly, getting to a solution of like, how do you not repeat that? Mm. But I'm a big believer in writing things down. And I will tell you, and I share this often, I always show my moleskin. Um, I always say I'm old school, but you know, every day I'm writing every day and it helps me. It helps me think through the thoughts that I have about what's going on from that day. And, um, it's useful. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. The people here that are listening that are sort of just thinking, you know, as I said in my intro, you've got one of the coolest jobs in the world. They'll be begging me to ask what's coming down the pipe in terms of some of the exciting products in in your part in the consumer business over the next few years. What are you excited about in terms of products? Well, of course, if it's something new, I can't share that. But let me, <laughs> let me um, just share a few things that I think is just wonderful of understanding how to put the customer at the center. And it really is what we're trying to do with our gaming business. And really by putting the customer at the center and how you want to be entertained with gaming, whether that's on your mobile device, whether that's on your PC, tablet, or a console. And that content, how that creates entertainment and fun and joy through cloud, via streaming, and you think about the community of gaming, I think you're going to continue to see us do wonderful things in the gaming side of the business. 
And then as you think about, you know, learning from home, working from home, playing from home, and everything that you do today, Phil, on your PC, I think you will continue to see us innovate greatly in this space. Uh, I'm smiling because it's it, it sounds great, but I, but I don't know what's coming. But I, I'm looking forward to it nonetheless. <laughs> um, what does the future hold for you personally? Well, first of all, my daughter is just starting the college process. Right. And I start there because this is a whole new chapter. So she has about a year and a half left of high school and going through the whole college process with her. Um, my husband just got his personal pilot's license. I'm getting more comfortable flying with him. And, you know, how I continue to make impact for people, people that I get to work with, um, people that I get to mentor. Mentoring is really something I'm very, very passionate about, especially early in career and uh, making an impact to continue to create the most, you know, inclusive, diverse teams um, to help, you know, our team be at their best and contribute to the greater good of Microsoft. And a couple of quick fire questions to, to finish up on. What's your guilty pleasure, Amy? Well, one of them you already know is shopping because I already <laughs> said that. So um, I am a, a keen customer across many dimensions. But I will also show you, share with you when you say guilty pleasure, the first thing I think is my guilty pleasure is pop culture. The latest and greatest stuff that's going on around the world um, is just fun, fun to know. Um, so pop culture is definitely a good one. I, I need I need a band. I need I need some, you know, what's what are your favorite bands then? David Bowie is one of my all-time favorites. I'm a big U2 fan. Um, you know, you go back from the day of, you know, I'm an 80s gal. So anything 80s, sign me up. I've gone to so many concerts in my life. You know, right now there's no concerts. I would tell you if we were talking two years ago, I'd be sharing with you. I go to two to three concerts every year. Um, but but music definitely holds a very, very special place for me in terms of um, connecting just with just great lyrics and great music and great sound. Yeah, there's nothing guilty pleasure about David Bowie. That's just pure pleasure. He, he's, he's my hero. And what makes you smile? Sunsets and sunrises. And what do you see more of? <laughs> you know the answer, being in Seattle. <laughs> um, you know, summers in the Pacific Northwest are stunning sunsets. Yeah, they are. Over, over Mount Rainier, it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to say, Amy, thank you for, for, for coming on today. Uh, you were everything I was hoping for, a bundle of energy, which you always are, but with, you know, with that, that clarity, transparency, directness, uh, and caring for people. Uh, you've been a, a wonderful guest. Thank you. Phil, thank you for the opportunity, and it's been my pleasure. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.